Well, if you brought your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to turn to John, John chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 23 through 26 as our text, and then several other passages as we go along. So I hope you brought your Bible, and I pray that you'll begin, if you haven't done so already, if you would, there's some sermon, blank sermon sheets, note sheets out there. You might want to pick one or two of those up before you come in or bring you a little notebook and take some notes because uh, they usually uh, come in handy a little later on. John chapter 11, and our text is verse 23 through 26. Before I share the scripture, I'd like for you to pray with me a verse. And uh, I believe we have that on the screen. Uh, from Psalm 119, verse 18. And I'd like for us to uh, pray this verse today. Let this be our prayer. Pray it out loud with me. Open my eyes so that I may see wondrous things from your word. Let's do that again. Open my eyes so that I may see wondrous things from your word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence to worship you and now to open our eyes. Pray that you open our eyes, Lord, that we might see wondrous things from your word. Teach us this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to move about us and to teach us. And Father, at the appropriate time, as you lay decisions on our hearts that we need to make, we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to follow your Holy Spirit and step forward and publicly stand for you in any decision that we have to make. Be with me, I pray, Lord, as I share this morning. Give me the words to say the right spirit to say them in, and I make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Familiar passage, I've shared it at a funeral or funerals for a number of times, or a number of times, and so uh, if you would look at John 11, verse 23. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus had died, and Jesus has come to the home after Lazarus has been buried, and he addresses the sisters, and this is what he says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die. King James says, though he were dead, this new King James says, though he may die, he shall live. Look at verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, though he may die, he shall live. Verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? 
This morning I want to share with you a sermon that I've entitled, The Believer Never Dies. You know, there's never been a nation, never been a family, never been any people, never been a tribe on earth in ages past, in the present, or in the future to come who does not believe in the immortality of the soul. From the very beginning, mankind has always believed that there is life beyond the grave. And it's impossible to remove that belief from his heart. Although atheists may have tried to remove it in the past, atheists may try to remove that now, or socialists may try to remove that thought from our heart, but they've never been able to do so. In centuries past, the warrior was buried with his armor, in order to prepare for that great battle, perhaps after death. The American Indian was buried with his bow and arrow because he would need them in that happy hunting ground after death. The Patagonians at the very tip of South America believed in life after death. The uncivilized tribe in Central Africa, they believe in life after death. They believed in a life to come, a life after death. And in John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, though he may die, he shall live. I am the resurrection and the life. And with those words, for the first time, there was an assurance of the immortality of the spirit. Life of the soul beyond the grave. But not only that, but the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of an incorruptible body. Listen, if you will, at Philippians 3.21. He says this, Philippians 3.21 who are Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that we may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's no other religion, there's no other faith, there's no other philosophy that teaches the immortality of the body, the resurrection of the body, except Christianity. And it came to us through the immortalization, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what set the earlier believers on holy fire of excitement was not so much about the death of Jesus, but it was all about the resurrection of Jesus. His story became the flame. It became the fury of hope and assurance when the angel said to the woman at the grave, He's not here. He's not here. But he's raised from the dead. Go and come and see the place in where they laid him. The point is, we believe in the immortality of the soul. Particularly, all of generations of mankind have believed that. 
ever since mankind first set foot upon this earth. So here's the point. The Christian faith, the Christian faith, believes that we're going to have this regenerated spirit, a regenerated spirit, an immortalized, glorified body. We believe, number one, the spirit will live forever. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the text says in chapter 11, John 11, verse 26, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And do you believe this? So here's the big question. Is there a personal immortality? In other words, in the past people have believed it. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? The big question is, shall I live? Will this body live? Will my spirit live? Will my soul live? And so Jesus answered the question in John eleven twenty six: Whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. You say, well, Brother Sammy, we see death all around us. I have a funeral that's coming Thursday, a lady that passed away a year ago. People die around us all the time. But the Lord says, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So what does that mean? We see them dying, but He says they shall never die. Here's what it means. Here's what Jesus is saying. What we call death, it's nothing more than just a temporary separation of soul and spirit, of soul and the body. However, life never ceases to exist. Even the body never ceases to exist. I thought this was quite interesting. Remember, the body ceases to exist. One of the most, or one of the major fundamental tenets of science is the indestructibility of matter. It cannot be destroyed. You can burn it up, but it's not destroyed. It just takes another form. It'll be gaseous, or it'll be soot, or ashes. It'll be in component parts in which the flame is able to break down the elemental substance but matter is indestructible. That means the body is indestructible. The body will be somewhere forever. Think on that just for a moment. You see, God has some things to say about the spirit, about the soul, and about the body. And I want to look at those real quick. First of all, the spirit of the soul, if you're taking notes. The spirit of the soul. The word soul refers to a spirit that's incarnate in the body. Years ago, we had master life offered, and I remembered some of the teachings in master life. And what we learned in master life in regards to the soul and the body, you know, uh, when the spirit incarnate, Incarnates the soul. Genesis 2 verse 7 says this, God formed man out of the dust of the earth 
and breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. And so we don't just have a soul, we are a soul. We have a mind, will, and emotions, a body. We have all the senses that goes with that body. And so we are a soul. But not only are we a soul, we have a spirit that indwells, that's incarnate in this soul, in this body. So the spirit is incarnate in the soul. A soul demands a body. Genesis 2, verse 7. God breathed into man's nostrils, man became a living soul. And there's no such thing as a soul without a body. Now, there's, a, there's no such thing. Uh, there is a spirit without a body. Uh, God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. No body. Satan is a spirit. No body. Demonic, his demonic demons, those demons, they're spirit. God is spirit, but his angelic host, is, they're also spirit. But a soul has the body. Inside us as a soul is a spirit that is incarnate, lives within us. And so I speak of the soul of the spirit. The spirit that lives inside of me never dies. It continues forever. You say, well, Brother Samuel, how do we know this? Well, we know it by anatomically in that our mind never stops. You see, when I go to sleep at night, my body sleeps, but my mind doesn't sleep. My mind doesn't stop. My mind continues to work. Does yours do that? Yeah. Do you dream? Yeah. Our body is resting, but our mind is busy. I've heard of some people who would go to bed at night and they would have a problem in trying to solve that problem, but they'd go ahead and go to bed, be thinking of it, and during their sleep they'd wake up the next morning and have that problem solved. So spiritually, when the Scripture say, says that when the body, what we call dies, it sleeps, and the spirit goes on, ascends or it descends. Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when Christ said to the thief who repented, he said, today thou shalt be with, be with me in paradise. And then the Bible says he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He, what happened? He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He dismissed his spirit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, Absent from the body, but present with the Lord. The point is, when my spirit is dismissed from my house of clay, from this tent, from this tabernacle, immediately I'm with God. My spirit goes to be with God. The spirit doesn't cease to exist. It just goes right on. Well, where does it go? Well, in Luke 16, the Bible speaks of a, a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And he died, and angels carried him, spirit, into the presence of Father Abraham. The rich man died, and in torment and hell, he lifted up his eyes. And so the spirit 
left the body of Jesus. The Spirit left the body of the thief and went to paradise. The rich man, Dives, died and he went to torment in hell. So here's the point. We don't die when we die. The Spirit continues on and it's active, it's alive as we were in our own natural estate and our own natural bodies. Dwight L. Moody said this, and Billy Graham uh, had written this to be read at his funeral. But Moody said this. He says, sometimes you're going to read in the paper that D.L. Moody is dead, but don't believe it. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I've ever been in all my days. So the point is the spirit does not die and the soul does not die. So I'm a soul. I'm not just a spirit. Then you have the body of death. Let's look at the body just for a moment. What about the body when the spirit's removed? Well, the body sleeps for a while. Look, if you will, at John chapter 11. Go back up a few verses, verse 11 through verse 14. These things he said after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. He's just asleep. He's resting. It's kindly good for you if you're sick to rest. If he's resting, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so the point is this, the body sleeps, the soul never sleeps. But the body sleeps, the mind never sleeps. Remember, in the New Testament, the nomenclature for death is always sleep. A cemetery in the Greek, koabmetatron, in English is our word cemetery, a sleeping place. In the Greek, a sleeping place. The English word cemetery means a sleeping place. And so when the Bible says that Stephen fell asleep in Acts chapter 8, 59 through 60, <clears throat> uh, we would say that he died. In Acts chapter 13, 36, Paul preached and said after David served his generation, he fell asleep. We would say that he died. So here's the point. The body falls asleep. It just goes into a rest. Well, the question then comes, how long does it sleep? That brings about the third point, to the awakening of the body. That's the resurrection. Look at John chapter 11, verse 43 through 44. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, remember, his body's asleep. Lazarus come forth, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, let him go. Now remember, the resurrection of the dead is a Christian doctrine. Was Lazarus raised from the dead? Yes, Jesus brought him back alive. Did he have a body? Yes. Did he have his mind? Yes, he did. Re the resurrection of the dead is a Christian doctrine. In Christ, 
There is for us a resurrection to eternal life from the dead. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. So the point is, there's no other faith that believes in the resurrection of the body. Zoroasterism, Mohammedism, they see it sometime just in a shadow way that there is a resurrection, but it's almost non-existent to all other religions. So if you remember a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon from Acts 17, 22 through 32, and Paul stood on Mars Hill before the Areopagus, and he was talking about Jesus, and they were excited. The philosophers of that day were excited to hear about Jesus. And then he mentioned the resurrection of the dead, and they began to laugh and make fun of him. The intellect of the day could not except the resurrection of the dead. They laughed out loud. Now, why was that? Because the Greek philosophers, it was unthinkable for a person to come back from the dead. It was unimaginable for a person to do that. It was unreasonable for a person to do that. So the resurrection would never commend itself to intellectual acceptance. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. However, the resurrection is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith, meaning we believe in the resurrection of the dead, that this body shall be raised out of the dust of the ground. We believe that. Now, why is it cardinal for us to believe that? Why is that such an important doctrine? Because first, the Christian faith began at the resurrection of Jesus. It's Christian. Christianity is not ethics. The Stoics had a marvelous ethical system. The, uh, uh, you know, the Buddhists have a marvelous ethical system. Confucius, marvelous ethical system. The Greek philosophers, a marvelous ethical system. Judaism, a marvelous ethical system. But Christianity is not just a system of ethics. It's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's the point. If our Lord did not rise from the dead, if the dead do not rise, then our Lord did not, is not risen, and our faith is in vain, and we're yet in our sins, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17. So why is the resurrection our cardinal doctrine? Look, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4. I'm going to read this. It's important. And he that was he that and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the scripture. And that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And after that he was seen over five hundred brethren at once, in whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James and by the apostles. And last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. From the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am who I am, and the grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all, but yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. 
Now, if Christ has preached that he had been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead did not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those believed and they have died. They've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Look, if you will, at uh, verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Jesus the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then look, if you will, over to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it's raised incorruptible. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown as a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and then there is a spiritual body, and it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also those who are made of dust and is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. So you have the resurrection. It's all about the resurrection of God. It's about the resurrection of the saints. And one day, we're going to be living in his sight. We're going to see him face to face. Do we understand all of it? I don't understand all of it. How can the dead be raised? What kind of body am I going to have? What's the interim body going to be like? I don't know any of that. Can Christ bring get back together those who are dust today? Those who were cremated today? Can Christ bring it all back together again? I don't know how he's going to do that. But I found something in reading and studying this that I want to share with you That's uh, as we close out from uh, Michael Faraday. Michael Faraday, one of the greatest scientists of all times. He was a British chemist. He was a, a physicist. And uh, he was in the class with his students one day. And he heard a student remark about his reference to the resurrection from the dead. And when Faraday heard it, he took a silver cup and he took a jar of sulfuric acid and he dropped this silver cup into this sulfuric acid, and that silver cup dissolved immediately. It disappeared. And then this great scientist, he took a handful of ordinary salt, and he threw in the same container where he put the cup in that sulfuric acid. And when he threw that salt into the jar of sulfuric acid, immediately all the silver 
blob down to the bottom, that salt acted as a, a catalytic agency. And it, draw, it brought all of that silver and it dropped to the bottom and formed a big blog in the bottom of that jar. And he reaches down and he takes that silver back out of that jar, takes it to a silversmith, and this silversmith fashioned that blob of silver into a beautiful cup, more beautiful than it was before, and engraved it and gave it back to Faraday. And Faraday said this. He says, if I can take this silver cup and dissolve it out of sight and then bring it back and present it to you, more beautiful than it's ever been before, quote, why should I stagger at the ableness of God to take the body and dissolve it back into dust of the ground and then reassemble it with its very molecules and atoms only into a more beautiful and glorious form? Why should I stagger at the miracle of God? Think of that. You can take a silver cup and put in sulfuric acid and throw some old table salt in there and bring that thing back together again. And we wonder how God and why God or how God could, could take dust that's been hanging around for centuries and centuries and thousands of years and not bring that back together and form it into the same human that it once had form of. My goodness. The resurrection has been the cardinal doctrine of our faith throughout the years. I like what W.A. Criswell said. He says, go to the catacombs and you'll walk miles and miles and miles through dark tunnels. Where did those tunnels come from? Miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of tunnels underground. In Rome. Where'd they come from? He said, did the pagans burn their dead? Yes. The heathen burned the dead? Yes. Did Rome burn the dead? Yes. But the Christian, the lonely Christian, carefully took the body of their loved one and found a quiet, solitary place to lay it down to rest. Although it was prohibited by Rome to dig a grave, those vast, great, endless catacombs are found throughout, miles and miles and miles, simply because a Christian wanted to find a place for his dead to rest. It's awesome. That's what it means to be a Christian. The resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means present them, or prevent those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And of course, I read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. But John 11, verse 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. He who believes in me, though he may die. Though he were dead, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's all about the resurrection. You know, one day in God's own timing, you're going to give up the Spirit. I'm going to give up the Spirit. The Spirit's going to leave our body. It will ascend to heaven as believers. If you're not a believer, it'll descend down to torments of hell. But as a believer, our body will be laid to rest out in a cemetery somewhere. And while the Spirit is going to be with the Lord, we'll wait for awakening out there if we die before the Lord comes back. And we'll wait for that awakening or we'll wait for, our, as a believer, our resurrection and our glorified body. And one day the Lord's going to return for his church. And those who have died in the Lord will be raised first. And those who are believers and are alive shall be called up to be with the Lord. They'll be translated. Be a resurrection, then there will be a translation. The resurrection. Those who are laid in the dust of the ground are raised in the likeness and the image of the Lord Jesus. You know, when Christ was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses was there, and Moses talked to him about his bodily resurrection. Moses died, and he was buried, Matthew 17, 1 through 3. He's buried somewhere on Mount Nebo. We don't know exactly where he was buried, but he was buried. Moses typifies those who shall be raised from the dead. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, you had Elijah. He was there. He never experienced death. He was translated. He was taken away with a whirlwind. Then you had Enoch. He never experienced death. He was raptured. He was, he was taken up. They were all transferred. They were all immortalized. They were all glorified in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And one day we're going to experience the resurrection if we... Our body's put to rest. Our spirit's going to be with the Lord. He's coming back, bringing our spirit with us. It's going to be a great resurrection. We'll be reunited with a glorified body. But the lost will remain dead for a thousand years. And then there's going to be a second resurrection of the lost. And they'll stand before him at the great white throne judgment to be judged according to their works. And you know how that goes in regards to salvation. They'll be judged according to their works. And then they'll be cast into a lake of fire. So you have the spirit of the soul, the body of death, and the awakening of the body. You have a soul, you have a spirit. When your body gives up the spirit, it ascends or it descends. And then your body will rest until there's awakening. And then it joins the soul, the spirit, wherever it might be. Coming from heaven, 
are already cast into hell. Which direction are you going to be going? You say, well, I've wondered about a lot of this, Brother Sammy. Maybe the Lord's brought it to you and it's more plainer today. Hope I haven't muddied the water. But at the same time, our spirit and our soul, two different things, our body. And one day we're going to be brought all together again by the Lord Jesus and we wait to that day. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to come be a part of this service today. And Lord, just the title of the message, Believers Never Die. And Lord, we understand that. And so, Father, I, I pray now at this time for every person here, this serious time of our, our worship time as people um, respond to your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, you would go to each chair for a person that's here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray today that they would ask you, Lord, to come into their life and save them. And so, Father, we know that time's coming when we, our spirit will depart from our body and it will ascend or descend. And so I pray, Lord, today, if anyone's here and has never trusted Christ today, they would humble their heart. You soften their heart that they would remove any pride and say, Brother Sammy, I just need to be saved. I pray they'll come. They may be a lost church member. Um, Father, they may have just tried to be a, a Christian. They've really never devoted themselves to you, never given or submitted to the lordship of uh, of submitted the lordship, your lordship over their lives, and I pray today that they'll come. And God, I pray in rededication or recommitment, Christians, Father, who for whatever reason have walked away, but speak to their hearts, Lord, that they may come home today, come back to you. Father, thank you for what you're going to do as people make life-changing decisions today. Uh, I pray that you'll forgive me. I pray that you've taken the words of my mouth and, Father, that you have changed them or improved upon them as you touch the hearts of people as they respond to your spirit today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.